Good morning, everyone. Hope you're doing well. Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain. Hope you had a wonderful, wonderful Christmas. Um, I enjoyed myself enormously. My wife made a wonderful meal, had friends over, and great conversation, and uh, it celebrated in the evening by going to the steepest slide known to man and death to bargaining our way into the wee hours. So it was a lot, it was a lot of fun, a little bumpy, but, but a lot of fun. So I hope you had a great time. Please remember, if you know people in your life who are alone at Christmas, please reach out to them uh, over the Christmas season and between now and New Year's and just ask them how they're doing, remind them that they're part of the great human family and all that kind of stuff. So a couple of things floating around on Twitter this morning, which were interesting. The first is that the Canadian government broadcasting channel government-funded broadcasting channel, the CBC, they showed the movie Home Alone, but they cut the scene with Donald Trump. Like, Donald Trump had a cute little cameo in Home Alone 2, and they removed it. The question is why. That was very interesting. Now, it's not, I mean, I'm sure they could say, well, we just didn't want people to be triggered by Trump or whatever, like seeing him in a cameo is triggering. But no, the reason why they removed this is because they have no capacity for self-reflection and can't handle criticism, right? So think of, take an extreme example, think of Stalin, who would love people, bring them close to his inner circle, praise them enormously as uh, heroes and friends of the revolution, and then he would turn on them and he would have them killed or, or exiled to Siberia or something like that. And then he would have to erase, or they would all erase, these people from pictures from newspaper articles and so on. Well, why? Well, either the leader has turned on these supposed friends for political reasons and destroyed them because they have displeased him, which shows that he's mercurial and moody and murderous and makes everyone terrified because the cult of personality doesn't really work with sociopathic ringing of the great chicken neck of friendship on a regular basis, right? Of course, the other possibility is that Stalin loved these people and they were wonderful, but then they turned out to be evil and that's why Stalin had to get rid of them, which shows that Stalin has terrible judgment when it comes to people. And if someone has terrible judgment when it comes to people, how are they supposed to run an entire communist economy, right? So, I mean, it's, this is what the socialists who are pushing for a gateway to open for the hardcore communists to get through and take over, they don't usually realize that when the hardcore communists take over, one of the first people they destroy is the socialists, because the socialists betrayed the existing system they were under, under the free market. The socialists betrayed the previous existing system, so they don't want traitors in their midst. And it's kind of like a death wish opening the portal for the communists to come through for the socialists and, and for everyone, I guess, right? But only the socialists are really hard at work doing that. So what they want to do when they erase Trump from Home Alone 2 is they want to help people forget that Trump used to be kind of loved. In, in society, in, in America, right? I mean, his books were very popular. Um, he was a regular on talk shows. Uh, he, he had a very successful television show on NBC, The Apprentice. And he was considered like a goofy scion of privilege. His entrepreneurial abilities and willpower to recover from disaster was well documented and, and admired. And he was considered to be, you know, just this somewhat goofy, genial, swirly-haired uncle who had more money than God and your average home decor taste of a rapper. Considered to be, I mean, he gave to the Democrats, gave to the Republicans, he was welcome everywhere, people wanted to go to his parties, he was very, very popular, and now he's become sort of evil incarnate for the left and so on. And they don't want you 
to remember a time when Trump was considered to be a cute addition to a Christmas family movie or a family movie as a whole. Because either everyone who liked or approved of or even loved Trump back then had terrible judgment in people and didn't realize he was going to turn into evil incarnate, or the elites have turned on him for political reasons, in which case they don't want you to remember just how manipulative and destructive and two-faced the elites can be. I don't know if you've ever had someone like this in your life, someone who loves you to death and then literally hounds you half to death. I had this once in, in the business world where a guy I worked at a company with you know, loved me for the first little while and gave me books and, and we would chat. And, but then when I disagreed with something that he, he said, when I, I said, listen, my employees are not paid according to market standards, you're underpaying them and it's going to risk them going elsewhere. And uh, I, I bought uh, all of the uh, market averages for the employees that I had and uh, suggested strongly that to retain the top talent, which we had a lot of talent to people, we needed to up to at least the industry average, maybe a little bit above. And he didn't like that. And boy, just, you know, I ended up getting my way uh, by going to the board, but and ended up paying my employees. Boy, I think it was net. I got them about 200K more a year in, in aggregate. Uh, so I'm proud of that, you know. When people say, can you help the working class? It's like, well, yes, I do. But yeah, he really then turned on me and, you know, and it was really a, 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 a mess. And it took a while to sort of navigate through those, those politics and end up um, where, where I wanted to be. But yeah, if you've ever had someone who turns on you like that, you realize that it's kind of unstable people and, and very manipulative people. And the, the elites don't want you to remember that they're very manipulative and unstable and that they don't really have any moral judgments. They only have the lust for power. And if Trump is helping them with that, they like him. And if they perceive he's interfering with that, then he suddenly becomes evil incarnate. But there's no moral judgments at all. It's just political manipulation. So they've got to erase Trump from his positive history. Not because they want to erase Trump, but because they want to erase your memory of how unstable and devious the, the elites are. So I think that's going on. Now, another thing that came out was, uh, oh my gosh. So Teen Vogue on Christmas posted an article, Guide to Anal Sex. Things I will not be, be linking to. So Teen Vogue has once again published a guide to anal sex for their very young readers, this time on Christmas. The outlet, as far as I understand it, targets audiences from 13 to 17. 13 years old to 17 years old. And I mean, you shouldn't be promoting sex at all to, to kids that age, and you certainly should not be promoting uh, anal, anal sex. And it's, um, it's monstrous. Um, it's monstrous. And, you know, that, that they would repost this article. I mean, it's just part of the, the horrendous anti-Christian bias that's going on in society these days, that they would post this article on Christmas, on Christmas, on the birth of Jesus Christ, Christ worshipped by hundreds of billions of people around the world as one of the holiest days in existence and a celebration of the Messiah. And the, that they would post this is not an accident and is, is just... I mean, I don't even know what to say then, other than it shouldn't be there at all, targeting children. But uh, the idea that you would post that on Christmas Day, come on. I mean, this is really, uh, you know, the, the Christians, they have, they turn the other cheek, but they also have an eye for an eye. And uh, it's really, really not 
not good. Keep, just keep pushing this stuff. Just keep pushing this stuff and pushing this stuff. It's really, really terrible. It's really terrible and should be, I mean, should be called out and, and parents should have nothing to do with this uh, organization, in my opinion. Now, as far as I understand it also, uh, Pelosi uh, sitting on this uh, impeachment, right? So I did a, a show, you should really check it out, the truth about impeachment. So Nancy Pelosi is sitting on the articles of impeachment rather than sending them to, uh, to the Senate. And the, one of the reasons she says she's doing that is because she wants to make sure that the Senate is going to vote her way. But that's not really her job, and that is an abuse of power, saying, well, I'm not going to go to the next step when it comes to impeaching Donald Trump unless I can get guarantees that the Senate is going to go the way that I want it to. That is, um, that is monstrous. And let's see, let's do one or two more, very, very interesting, about what's going on. Oh, yeah, this is going on as well. So there's a lot of media outlets that, that are seem to be very keen to promote infidelity over the Christmas holiday. So there was one which said um, you should give your wife a pass to have an affair on Christmas. There's another one here. This is from The Telegraph. It says, my husband has had at least 10 affairs and it's made our marriage stronger. And this undermining of marriage and monogamy, um, uh, again, it's just, um, it's monstrous. And the undermining of marriage, the undermining of children, right? There's all of these articles out there about how, oh, childless couples are happier than couples with children. Now, of course, our modern society does not work for parents. It does not work for parents even remotely. So there was an article about some district in America that was spending close to $20,000 a year per student in the government school. So, you know, let's say you have four kids. Uh, well, you have 80000 if, if you weren't paying taxes to support them in government schools, you'd have $80,000 of after-tax income to play around with. Well, that means one parent could stay home. You could homeschool. You could uh, start your own educational arena with cool trips to museums and maybe even overseas trips with that amount of money. It's staggering, right? And it's just a... A terrible situation for parents. I mean, you've got to get up, you've got to rouse your kids, you've got to get them off to daycare, you've got to drive to work, you're in traffic, which is terrible because governments are on the roads as well. And then you try and call them if they're in daycare. Well, maybe some daycares will let you get in touch with them or see them on webcam uh, on, on a browser o over lunch. And then you've got to try and get out of work at a, at a regular hour and you drive and you're crossing your fingers and you hope you don't pay the fines for extra time if you if you get to your daycare late and then you got to bring your kids home and they're kind of wired and stressed from being away all day you're wired and stressed from this kind of day and then well you get them home you've got to cook you've got to bathe them you've got to you know if they're older you got to go through this godforsaken sharecropping serfdom of useless homework that goes on that i think is basically just shoved in parents homes to cause family discord and mess and disaster and conflict and fighting and then you know, they got to bathe and then it's bedtime and you haven't really spent that much quality time with your kids. Uh, you don't really have much control over their environment. The, the state is raising, you're raising your children a lot more than you are. And then on weekends, you've got chores and family obligations. So there's just not a lot of relaxed and enjoyable family time where you just enjoy each other's company. And that's largely because two parents work. I mean, there's this idea that two parents have to work and there's a lot of propaganda on women. Oh, you've got to go and get a job. Uh, because you've got to be independent in case your husband, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, just keep your partner happy. Like in a marriage, like in any relationship, I mean, there's all of that gushy good stuff as well, but, you know, you've got to have that hard-nosed aspect 
that you are providing a service called love, loyalty, happiness, and engagement, and intimacy, and all of that to your marriage partner, to your husband, to your wife. And you've got to check in, see if they're enjoying what you're providing. And, and, you know, you get surveys from your local pizza place after you buy a slice of pizza. You've got to ask people in your environment if they're happy with what you're bringing to the table and, and adjust accordingly and so on, right? So parenting is pretty wretched in uh, modern society uh, with two parents working, two people working. And people say, well, you can't afford it otherwise. It's like, well, you kind of can. There's lots of solutions to how you can afford having kids, even if you're not making a lot of money. You can move to um, you can move out to the country where housing is much cheaper. You can figure out ways to work remotely. You can live with your parents. You can um, you can uh, get a house and then rent out. Uh, as friends of mine have done, you could rent out um, the upper floor or the basement or a couple of rooms or whatever. There's lots of things that you can do to be able to afford it. And of course, given that I think college has become, I mean, just a desperate mess for kids. Uh, they're just getting leftist indoctrination. Not, I was going to say left, right, and center, but it's left, left, and lefter. So if you don't have to say for college, but instead teach them how to become entrepreneurs, uh, that's a much better, uh, it's a much better situation for them. So you can save a lot of money that way. But yeah, parenting is really not working for people. And there's all this propaganda on how to undermine the monogamy and stability and security of your marriage and this anti-child propaganda always directed at white people, always directed at white people. And I mean, there's a UN thing about the burden of motherhood. Will you accept the burden of motherhood, all the unpaid work of motherhood? And it's like, come on, it's bloody ridiculous. When women are disabled from pregnancy and childbirth in terms of their ability to go out and, and do a lot of productive economic labor, somebody's paying their bills. It's a husband who's paying their bills or taxpayers through the state who are paying their bills or maybe charities or extended family. Someone's paying their bills. There's no way that motherhood is unpaid labor because motherhood doesn't make money. Children consume resources. Motherhood consumes resources. Somebody has to be providing those resources. And of course, the UN thing naturally, inevitably is in English. Whereas, of course, if you look at the population of Africa, that's what's set to explode. Uh, already is exploding and that's what's set to explode over the next little while. So if you're not producing these documents in the African clicking languages, I don't really want to hear about overpopulation. You're targeting the group that has one of the lowest reproductive. It's like, it's like going to Japan and targeting them for having too many babies when they have a re replacement rate a little bit over one, uh, far down from the two point something that you need. So this undermining of marriage and monogamy, this undermining of children, uh, it's terrible. I mean, it is, um, it is a way of, of depopulating an entire arena. And... No, your affair, affairs don't make your marriage stronger. That's ridiculous. I mean, that's beyond ridiculous. I mean, I don't know what to say about that. And if you survey people in the middle of life who have kids and are struggling with how terrible modern parenting is in the modern society, and a society that doesn't work for parents doesn't work at all. Well, I shouldn't say. It doesn't work for sort of middle-class parents. Rich parents have nannies, and they have as much time in the world as they want, if they want it. A lot of the poorer parents are, you know, going on welfare, getting government benefits. So sort of middle-class parents doesn't really work for them at all. It's terrible. And if you really want to know whether people are happy about having children or not, there's not much point asking them in the middle of their life in a society which doesn't, is not friendly at all to middle-class parenting. You want to ask them when they're older, right? If they're lonely and, and they don't have anyone coming around and there's no next generation to invest in and so on, that's who you really want to ask. But you don't want to ask those people because then you might realize... I mean, it was, was it? last Christmas, a friend of mine came over 
She was in her 30s and she'd recently been married. And I asked her, is she being pestered to have babies? And I was just kind of curious. And yeah, yeah, it turns out they've been trying. They've been trying and trying and trying. And nothing was happening. So please remember to think about starting early. And I wish you guys a very, very Merry, Merry Christmas. Um, uh, Happy New Year. I'll, of course, be talking to you before the New Year. Have yourself a wonderful, wonderful day. Uh, lots of love from here. I'll talk to you soon.